I want to invite you to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 11. Uh, before we start, or as I start, I want to uh, give you a bit of a sense of where we are going. Um, those of you who have been with us for a while know that we were walking through Jesus' Sermon on the Mount in the, uh, Matthew 5 to 7. We didn't finish that yet, and we are going to come back to it. We, uh, the beginning of summer, we concluded walking through the Lord's Prayer, and uh, so we're going to come back to that in a number of weeks uh, in November when I get back from India. So I haven't forgotten. We will, we will return to that. Over the next four weeks, we're going to take some time as we do, not every year, but often in fall. I've done a series on our vision statement and our mission statement, refocusing us, reminding us about who God wants to shape us to be and what God has called us to. And so uh, we're going to start with the vision statement today and the next two weeks, and then We'll end with a look at our mission statement. Our mission statement is, our mission statement is making Jesus known. That's, that's the mission God has given us as his people. The vision, uh, and, and a mission and vision depends who you ask, what they define, but our mission is what we're about, what God's called us to. Our vision is who God wants to shape us to be to that end. And our vision says, some of you will know this, deeper, closer, bolder, or the, that's the simple version, that, that God wants us to be growing deeper in intimacy with Christ, closer in relationships with one another, and bolder on mission for the lost. Now, all of that, uh, growing deeper, growing closer, growing bolder, all of that is grounded in the gospel and empowered by the Holy Spirit. That is, who God is shaping us to be is not something we produce by our own efforts. It's, it's something that God produces in us by the power of the gospel and by his spirit empowering us and working uh, through us. And so we want to uh, focus on that the ne- next number of weeks. That'll take us right up to Thanksgiving. And then we will have Teen Challenge here for a week. And then I'll be gone for three Sundays uh, to India. And then when we come back, we'll go back to the Sermon on the Mount. So just so you have a, uh, know where we're going and don't wonder if I've forgotten We will get back to the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, This morning, we're going to focus on the first part of our vision, the first of the three words, deeper, the first phrase, deeper in intimacy with Christ, that that God wants to shape us to be, men and women, young and old, no matter who you are, that God wants us to grow in in deeper intimacy with Jesus, to know Him more fully, to trust Him more completely, to obey Him more thoroughly. Uh, As we begin that, I want to begin by... Uh, asking you to think of a time when you, uh, some of you maybe don't have to think that far back, but think of an occasion where you were really, really tired, where you were weary. For me, uh, that question reminds me of something I did almost two years ago uh, today. It was the end of September, two years ago. Some of you may remember that I did a 10K run to raise funds for Teen Challenge. You might not be able to tell by looking, but I'm not a runner. I'm not a runner. Um, And so I said, hey, I'll do this. Uh, You sponsor me. I will prepare to do this, and and we'll see what happens. And so I began training in August and uh, trained. I got up to six kilometers a a night, and I thought, hey, I can do this. I'll be, you know, I felt good. I felt like I could keep going. And I thought when the day of the actual run comes... I'll be good, except there were two factors that I didn't take into account. One was that I always ran at night when it was cool, except the day of, that I did the run, it was a Sunday afternoon, and it was a pretty warm, sunny afternoon, and, and that was a factor. It changed the equation. 
And, and the other thing is I, I mapped out the run, and uh, some of you remember Doug and Nancy were willing to, their place to be the end of the run, and they'd provide refreshments. People could gather and celebrate or see if I survived. And, and what I didn't take into account was that their house, there, there's an incline getting there. It's slight, but, but when you're hitting kilometer 8 and 10, I felt that. And so as I got closer and closer to the end, like I hit a wall. I was, I was, so, I was done before I was done. And, and I barely made it. And I remember coming out of the path, and there were, some of you were there in their front yard. And I, I got to the end of the path, and I stopped running. And Chris Lee said, going! There's a few more steps. She encouraged me. And I ran, and I got to their yard, and I collapsed in the lawn, just desperately trying to breathe and recover. I was so done. I eventually was able to get up and go in the back and sit and rest and, and receive, eat some grapes and drink water and, and uh, be revived. Extremely tired. I mean, that, that's something that I think of when I think of being weary. There are different ways, of course, in which we can be tired, not only physically, but we can be tired in, in other ways. We can all identify, regardless of the way in which we experience weariness, we, we can all identify with those experiences of being tired, of being burdened, and, and that's what this text that we're going to look at this morning is going to lead us to think about. We're going to be looking at Matthew 11, verses 28 to 30, uh, verses that are likely familiar to many of us. If you have your Bible, I invite you to follow along as I read these words of Jesus. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is one of the most incredible invitations that we find in the pages of the Bible. And it's a text that speaks powerfully to the call of God to us, the, the call, the invitation to intimacy with Christ, an invitation to the intimacy that God wants with us. There are four things that I want us to consider, to reflect on in our time together this morning as we consider this topic, this theme of deeper intimacy with Christ. First, the problem. Second, the invitation. Third, the outcome. And fourth, the path forward. So first, the problem. Jesus invites all who are weary and burdened to come to him. We all know those experiences of being weary, of being burdened. Now, I do need to say this. When Jesus speaks here of weariness, of being burdened, he's not actually speaking specifically to the kind of weariness that I described to you from my 10K run experience. He, he is not speaking about the many burdens that we encounter in life, the, the hard things. We, we do experience that, all of us, weariness and, and burdens. Life is hard. Jesus himself warned us of that re reality. He said in John 16, in this world you will have trouble. We all know that. We have experienced that. Just over the last number of days, the last number of weeks, even while I was away, just encountering uh, different people and their stories, stories of deep pain, deep burdens, heavy burdens that they're carrying. And, and so, so those are realities for all of us. Uh, but what I want to make clear is that here, 
It's not that kind of weariness or those burdens that Jesus is first and foremost speaking to. Now, that said, let me be clear, though those are not specifically the things Jesus is addressing, there, there is absolute relevance of what Jesus does say, what he does invite us to for all of life's weariness and all of the burdens. So uh, let that be known. So, so back to the question, what exactly is the problem? The problem is the fact that we each have a need that only God can meet. Every one of us, every person has a deep need that only God can meet. In Deuteronomy 8, uh, Moses is speaking to the Hebrews. They are on the border of the promised land. They have spent 40 years in the wilderness because of the sin of an earlier generation. And Moses speaks these words that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Now, I want to remind you, I'm going to read that again in the larger context uh, of, in which Moses spoke that. Remember, people have gone through the wilderness years. They have, during those years of wilderness wanderings, they have received from God manna, bread from heaven. God has provided six days of the week. They found bread on on the day before the Sabbath. They found enough for two days, and God has fed them. And so let me read these words of Moses again in a little bit of their larger context. Moses is speaking to God's people. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. God provided manna in order to feed his hungry people. Because as human beings, they had that physical need, that need for food. But there was more going on in the mind of God, even in the provision of the manna. God wanted to teach his people something. Something that is vital, was vitally important for them to understand. Something that is important for all of us to understand. And that is this, that man does not live on bread alone. That there is a need that we have that only God can meet. Bread sustains us physically. As human beings, we need nourishment. We need food. But part of us is not sustained by bread. Part of us cannot be sustained by bread. We have been created with a need that nothing in this world will meet. We try. People all around us try. We try to meet this non-physical need in, in a myriad of ways, through all kinds of physical things and experiences in the physical realm, we, with, with food, with relationships, with money, with success, with sex, with fame, you, you name it. We, we try to satisfy this, this longing, this hunger, this thirst that we have in all kinds of ways, but it is a need that, that nothing in this world will meet. Here's what Blaise Pascal, a French mathematician and believer, said. He said, this emptiness... He, that is us as human beings, tries in vain to fill with everything around him since this infinite abyss can be filled only with an infinite and immutable object, in other words, by God himself. We all have a need that only God can meet, a hunger that only he can satisfy. We were made by God for God. We were made for fellowship with God. To, to, to know him and be known by him and to walk with him in intimacy. That's what we were create, created for. But here's the problem. Because of our sin, because of our disobedience, we are alienated from God. We are God's enemies is how Paul puts it in Romans. That 
that relationship that we were created for has been severed. So how can we make things right? How can that be fixed? Well, here is where we need to consider the context into which Jesus spoke these words. You know if you have read the Gospels, you'll be familiar with, and if you don't, let, let me share with you that, that Jesus in his ministry over and over and over again encountered the opposition of the Jewish religious establishment. The Jewish religious leaders, the, the priests, the scribes, the Pharisees, they, they believed and they taught, they insisted that we could get right with God by strict observance of the law. That by doing more, trying harder, that we could live right, that we could obey, we could get our spiritual act together and, and achieve the goal of righteousness. Jesus, in Matthew 23, Jesus rebukes the religious leaders over this. They, they, were, they were pushing people, saying, this is what you need to do. You got you to pull your spiritual socks up. You, you got to work hard and, and get it together. They, they were pushing that. On the people. In Matthew 23, here's what Jesus says to the religious leaders. He says, they, they tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and put them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. They are putting burdens on the people, calling for this legalistic keeping of the law, but they miss the point of the law. We've, we've seen that over and over if you've been with us through the Sermon on the Mount. They were insisting on, on very meticulous keeping of the law externally, but they were missing the point, the heart. Remember, they thought, hey, as long as you don't kill someone, you've, you've obeyed God's command to not murder. And Jesus says, no, I care about what's going on in your heart. If you hate someone, you're missing the point. Adultery isn't just being in bed with someone who you're not married to. Adultery can happen in your head, in your heart. So the Pharisees, the religious leaders say, hey, just keep the law, keep the law, keep the law. Get righteous. They, they in fact, believe that if all of Israel would observe faithfully the Sabbath, two weeks in a row, God would send the Messiah. They were putting this burden on people. This is how you get right with God. They missed the point. Because the problem is that that we're not right with God and we are incapable of making things right with God by our performance. If that's what they were calling people to do. And, and the people of that day were tired, they were weary, they were burdened. Let's turn secondly to the invitation that Jesus gives. Jesus says, come to me. Come, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. Come to me, all, all you who are weary and exhausted from your striving. Come to me who, who are weighed down by the burden of legalistic rule keeping. Come to me, all you who are, are trying, doing more and trying harder. You are trying to make yourself acceptable to God. Come to me. Come to me and step off the treadmill of a performance-based religion. And walk with me in intimacy. The Christian life, the Christian life is not a self-improvement project. It is a life born out of the good news of God's redemption, achieved through Christ and the cross. It's, 
It's rooted in what God has done, grounded in the gospel. We cannot grow deeper in intimacy with Christ by our own striving, by something we do. No, it's, it's grounded in what God has done in Christ, and it's empowered by the Spirit. Jesus has come to me, and I will give you rest. I will give you rest. See, the goal of the Christian life is not mere compliance with, with a set of rules, the goal is intimacy with God. The goal is intimacy, intimate fellowship with Jesus. And here we're promised that in that friendship with Jesus, we will find rest. We will, we will be satisfied. Our hunger will be satisfied. And we will receive rest. We'll experience rest. Rest from, from the pressure to measure up. Rest from our efforts to try and make ourselves acceptable. You see... At the cross, God in Christ made us acceptable. At the cross, Jesus paid the penalty for your sin and for my sin. He suffered what we deserved. He absorbed it. He, he drank the cup of God's wrath for sin to the very dregs. And through faith in him, we are washed, we are cleansed, we are purified. Not only that, it's not just a blank slate, then we are clothed with the perfect righteousness and obedience of Christ. So the Father looks at you and he sees the perfection of his Son. That's the gospel. That's the good news. And, and in that there is rest. Come to me. Come to me from your striving. Come to me from your trying to make yourself acceptable. Come to me and experience rest. Come to me and receive what you could never achieve by your own efforts and striving. Let's turn thirdly to the outcome. When we come to Jesus in repentance and faith, we're called to repent. That means agreeing with God about our sin, turning from it, and turning to Jesus in faith, trusting him, trusting what he did at the cro on the cross, trusting him. When we repent and believe, we find rest. We are made right. We are accepted. We are adopted. We are made alive. We experience rest. But there is something else that's critical for us to recognize here. Jesus' invitation, he invites us to come to him to find rest but he says more. Look at verse 29. Jesus continues. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. We find here an invitation not just to come to Jesus to have our sin dealt with. Too often we can treat grace lightly, cheaply. We can say, oh, I want Jesus to deal with my sin so that when I die, I don't have to worry about hell. I can, I can go to heaven. But, you know, we, we, we'll take that. We want forgiveness. And then we think, ah, oh, can I just live however I want now? Right? Paul addresses that in Romans 6. You know, now that if, where sin increases, grace abounds. So can we go on sinning? He says, by no means. That's to miss the point. That's the the point of what we're called into. So we come to Jesus, we receive his grace, we are washed and clothed with his righteousness. But there's more. We are invited by Jesus then to walk with him daily. This is an invitation into a life of discipleship, of intimate, daily, moment-by-moment -moment fellowship with the one who redeemed us. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. A yoke was an instrument put on animals, I think oxen or 
or other animals to pull together, be a, a wooden or an iron bar placed across, I don't know, do oxen have shoulders? Across their back. Anyways, it, it's on them and they're bound together. And so in Israel's experience, a, a yoke is typically a symbol of oppression. In Nahum, if you were here in the summer when we walked through Nahum, they, they were under the yoke of the Assyrians. That was a symbol of oppression. Jesus says, take my yoke upon you. The, the imagery is this. This is not oppression, but Jesus is saying, come, be bound together with me. Me, right by your side. Walk with me. Be, let me pull with you. This is not an instrument of oppression but it's an instrument that binds us to him. And, and he is good. He loves you. He cares for you. He gave his life to rescue you. And he says, come to me and find rest. Come to me and take my yoke upon you. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart. And even in this, even in being yoked to him, he says, and you will find rest for your souls. Christ is gentle. He is, he is humble. He, he is Lord of lords, King of kings. He is the Almighty One who made all of creation. And He says to you, take my yoke upon you. Walk with me. Bind yourself to me. Take this yoke and, and let me walk step by step with you. That, that, and in doing so, you will find rest for your souls. See, the promises of Jesus here is not a promise of a life free from all trouble, from all suffering, from, from those things that do make us weary, those things that do burden us. It's, it's not a life free of those. Just this week, just yesterday, got a call from a, a friend who shared that she's been diagnosed with ALS, brutal disease. She just called and said, would you pray for me? God's not promised us a life free from weariness or those kinds of burdens. We will experience trouble in this world. But even when we do, we can know intimate fellowship with Jesus because we are bound to him with his yoke. And he's walking with us daily, moment by moment. And he is gentle. He is tender. He is humble. He loves you. He cares for you. And he is saying, I want to walk with you in closest fellowship. I want to be beside you through whatever you experience. And I, I'm going to pull. I'm, I'm going to be the one that, that pulls you through. My spirit will empower you. This isn't something you do on your own. I am with you. What an amazing, amazing promise. And you will find rest for your souls. So we are yoked to Christ, but there is more. He says, Listen to this text once more. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. We are invited to learn from Christ, to, to, to grow in him, to this intimate fellowship with him. We're, we're forgiven and redeemed, and then we get to grow and learn from him as we spend time with him, walking with him, as we experience that fellowship step by step. We learn obedience. This this is an invitation into a life of Christian discipleship, to, to follow Jesus, to walk with Jesus, to know him, and to grow in obedience. That's something that's pictured here. Yoked to Christ, we, we walk step by step with him, learning from him. See, Christian discipleship is about learning 
and, and about obedience, it, 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 growing in obedience. It's not that obedience is unimportant in the Christian life. It's just that the, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, their approach to obedience was, was all backwards. They thought that this was how we made ourselves right with God, and, and we can never do that. But when we realize that through Christ, through what he's done, we are forgiven, we are made righteous, we are adopted, we are beloved daughters and sons of the King of Kings, from that place, out of, out of gratitude and joy, we grow in obedience as we walk with Jesus. Not by our own strength, but by the power of the Spirit at work in us. The Christian life is impossible to live on our own strength, but we don't have to because Christ indwells us. Paul in Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Christ lives in us. We walk step by step with him, empowered by his Spirit. And so the outcome of, of Responding to this invitation to come to Jesus to receive rest is this intimate daily fellowship with Jesus, being yoked to him, learning from him, growing as his disciple, growing in obedience. But what exactly does that look like? How does this happen? Let's turn fourthly to the path forward. Mark Buchanan writes this, speaking about Christian life. He says, a life of spiritual robustness doesn't happen by accident. It doesn't happen overnight. It's a long obedience in the same direction. It's forged in the daily and tempered in the ordinary. It is a slow and steady and deliberate gathering of the years. It is a combination of keen attentiveness to God, to self, to others, to life, and holy indifference to trifles, to insults, to useless distractions. Those two words, attentiveness and indifference, are key, key, and I'm going to come back to those. But Buchanan goes on to say, most of us stumble into the kingdom with nary a clue how to do this. So we thrash about, make reckless attempts, arm ourselves with slogans, goad ourselves with guilt, fail and fail and fail, and finally settle for spiritual mediocrity. Our inner lives remain cramped and musty. We resort to mere conformity, to a masquerade of piety to cover up our lack of real Christ-likeness. The Christian life, a life of, uh, of Christian discipleship is lived in intimate fellowship with Christ step by step with Jesus necessarily. But it, see, Christianity isn't about merely giving mental assent to a set of doctrinal truth claims, though what we believe does matter. And and also how we live, how we behave matters. We can learn all about Jesus and not know Jesus, not experience intimacy with Jesus. In John's gospel, Jesus said this to the religious leaders. He said, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. They're the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me and have life. So, so we can know lots and not have intimacy. And likewise, we can, we can focus on behavior modification and miss God's desire to transform our hearts. That's what the Pharisees did, the religious leaders. They, they cared for what was going on outside. Remember Jesus' words to them, woe to you teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but, but inside they're full of greed and self-indulgence. So we, we, this isn't a matter of merely learning information or mere behavior modification. That's to miss the point. So how do we experience genuine growth as disciples? How do we experience genuine intimacy with Christ? See, 
Hear this, we do not earn our salvation. We can do nothing to merit His grace. But that does not mean that our lives as His disciples are passive. The Apostle Peter said, just as He who called you is holy, be holy. That's, that's a command. And in his second letter, he says, make every effort. So what does that mean? How do, how do we do that? It's not make every effort to make yourself acceptable to God. It's not make every effort to be right with God. That, no, that's accomplished through the cross. So what is he saying? Well, again, back to Buchanan's words, attentiveness and indifference. A combination of keen attentiveness to God, to self, to others, to life, and a holy indifference to trifles and insults to useless distractions. That is, there are things that we can do that we can pay attention to that will help us grow in intimacy with Christ. There are things that we can become indifferent to that we can choose to put away out of our lives so that our eyes are focused more on Christ. Here's what Dallas Willard uh, writes in his book, The Renovation, uh, Renovation of the Heart. He says, spiritual formation in Christ is an orderly process. Although God can triumph in disorder, that is not his choice. And instead of focusing upon what God can do, we must humble ourselves to accept the ways he has chosen to work with us. These are clearly laid out in the Bible and especially in the words and person of Jesus. There are rhythms that we can enter into in our lives. Rhythms of worship, gathering together weekly. We don't do this so that you can check a box off and say, hey, I attended We do this, hopefully, because as we gather and as we sing songs and worship, as we together confess our sin and hear words of assurance, as we hear the word and sit under the preached word, I I hope that that you encounter Christ, that he works in you. There are other rhythms, the rhythms of scripture reading, your, your personal devotional time where we are in the word seeking Jesus. Again, not something you do so you can check a box. Yeah, I put in my time. I read from the Bible. No, when you sit in his word, just I want you to picture Jesus is there yoked to you. He's with you. And, and as you read, ask him, Jesus, what are you wanting to say to me through your word? Listen for his voice. There's the rhythm of prayer where we pour out our hearts to God. We lay down our burdens, our anxieties, we, where we learn to sit in silence. How many of us in our culture know how to, to practice the discipline of silence, just paying attention to what God's doing? There, there are other things. We, we talked about fasting earlier and, and how God can use that discipline to just really kindle some things in our hearts, make us aware of how much we have these physical appetites that we so often pursue so passionately that we, for me, that's been one of the things God has shown me, like, oh, that I would desire you as much as I desire a meal right now. There are so many different spiritual disciplines and rhythms. And and again, back to what Willard said, these, these are the ordinary ways that we experience intimacy with Christ. We hear his voice. We grow in him. It's not that any of these things save us or make us merit anything. Don't hear that. But the Christian life, a lot of discipleship, is not a passive life. It's not where we just sit back and go, okay, hit me, Jesus. We're invited by Jesus. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Walk with me. Not only are there rhythms and things we can engage in positively, but, but Buchanan says we need to be indifferent to things. There are so many distractions in our world and in our lives. And if we ask questions like, do I spend more time on screens than I do seeking Jesus? I imagine 
more than a few of us would feel a measure of conviction. What are the things that I'm giving my attention to where Jesus is saying, you know what? In and of itself, that might not be a bad thing, but is that keeping you from me? What are those things to which we need to express indifference? One tool uh, I've provided, it's on chairs this morning. I've highlighted this before, and, and I want to give this to you. And maybe, you, maybe you're already engaged in a regular uh, process of Bible reading daily, and that's great if you are. If you're not, maybe this is a tool that would be useful for you. It's something that our brother Jeremiah told me about a while ago, and I think it's, it's a neat tool. SOAPS, just an acronym, and, and encourage you to, to, to read a scripture. You can write down the reference, and as you read, say, Jesus, what are you saying to me? And you write down observations. What, what do you think Jesus is speaking to you? What's the application? How does he want you to, to take what he has said through his word and apply it today as you read that? And then pray. Ask Jesus to guide you, to empower you, to go with you, that you would seek to obey what he has said to you. And then the last thing is share. And that's a really good thing. And we, we can reach out and share with someone. Maybe, maybe there's someone in your family uh, a spouse or someone, a parent that you can share that with. Maybe it's someone else in the church. Maybe it's, maybe it's a non-Christian. You say, hey, I was reading my Bible and Jesus impressed this on me. But as we share, there's this, this built-in, uh, at some level, like accountability, but it's exciting to someone can say, hey, you know, Jesus told you to do this. Did you do it? And you're like, yeah, I did. It was really cool. Or I didn't. I, I want to grow in that. And, and there doesn't need to be, it's not about shame, but so I, I want to offer that to you as a tool that you may want to use. But sharing with someone else also leads to, it can, can contribute to spiritual friendships. And, and that's another spiritual discipline, another rhythm. See, many of us in the church, I think we have friends who are Christians, but we don't have Christian friends. There's a difference. Do, do you have a brother or a sister or maybe a few with whom you confess sin? with whom you share deeply the struggles of life, with whom you pray, for whom you pray and who prays for you. Those kinds of relationships are, are a, a, an amazing gift. There are so many of these things that Jesus can invite us into where we will grow in intimacy with Christ, where he will be teaching us, where we will walk with him step by step. One of the other things Dallas Willard says in his book is he speaks about we can have a vision for spiritual formation, for growth, but, but is there an intention? Because if we have a vision, he says there are means. The means are spiritual discipline, spiritual practices, some of the things I've talked about and other things. The, the, if we have a vision for it, this is part of our vision. God has called us. This is, this is a God thing, not a, a dentist thing. God wants each of us to be growing in intimacy with Jesus that we would know him, that we would love him, that we would grow in obedience to him. Not in order to be saved, but because we are his redeemed and beloved children. So that's the vision, that we would grow in this. And there is a means. There are these rhythms and practices and disciplines. But is there an intention? VIM is his acronym. Vision, intention, means. And so that's what I want to ask you. As we review this, as we fix our eyes on this, I want to ask you, what is it that Jesus is saying to you this morning? What are the rhythms that Jesus is saying, hey, I want you, I want you to step into this with me. I, I am walking by your side. I, I, want you to, I want you to spend time in my word. I want you to engage in a life of prayer. I want you to risk reaching out 
and developing a spiritual friendship. I want you to make gathering for worship a priority, not, not as a checkoff list, but because there's this it, it, time where you gather to sing and pray and sin under the word that enriches and helps you grow. What is it Jesus is calling you to? And I, I want to challenge you. I'm not going to ask you to tell me now. But I invite you to share with someone. What is Jesus telling you to engage in? And, and what is it Jesus might be saying, hey, here's an area in your life where I want to call you to, to indifference. This is a distraction. This is keeping you from being attentive to me. What are those things? And I really challenge you that you would go home today and this week that you would prayerfully consider what Jesus is saying, what Jesus is calling you to. Paul in Romans 12 says, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. What are the the ways in which Jesus wants to renew, transform our minds? Some of you are familiar with the story, The Little Prince. I'm not going to attempt to pronounce the author's name. My wife, at least, would probably laugh at me. But that author wrote this. If you want to build a ship, don't drum up people to collect wood and don't assign them tasks and work, but rather teach them to long for the endless immensity of the sea. Don't teach them to collect wood and do tasks. And so though I've talked a little bit about some spiritual disciplines, please, please know that that this is not about a to-do list. I don't want you to go away with a sense of being burdened. What I hope, what I hope for each of us is that we would leave with a longing for Jesus, a deeper longing to know him, a deeper longing to, to love him, and to be conformed by him into men and women who reflect his character increasingly. I, I desire that, that that would be our desire. And maybe you're sitting here saying, you know, you, you, if you're honest, you recognize, you know, I don't even have that desire. Then, then, then pray that God would give you that desire to desire him more. Pray that he would give you that desire, that, that we would, as a church, that, that we would be so clear that, that this is not about earning anything. This isn't about gaining his favor. This is about learning and growing to love him and to know him and to walk with him daily. Don't let this be about a to-do list. Let this be about a longing for Jesus. Amen. Let's pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we thank you. We thank you for your amazing love. Jesus, for your, your gift of your life, you suffered in our place willingly, gladly. And through faith in you, we are redeemed. We find rest. Jesus, pray that you'd work in each of us. Lord, I pray that where our desire for you is lacking, that you would, you would grow that desire, that you would give us a, a deeper longing for you, and Lord, that you would give us a longing for intimacy, and that you would lead us, Lord, not with guilt, not with lists, but that you would, that you would lead us into daily intimacy, daily walking in step with you, and Lord, that as we grow in that, we would know joy and rest. Pray this in your name for your glory. In your name we pray. Amen.